The scripture reading for today's message comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Here some Greeks are waiting to see Jesus, and Jesus speaks about his death. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, we thank you for this day and for an opportunity that we have to gather in your name to lift our voices to you, to read scripture, and to proclaim your word. We pray that you clear our hearts and minds to receive your word. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> As we follow Jesus on his journey to glory, what does the world see when they, when they look at First United Methodist Church here in Hebrew Springs? Do they see signs of hope, signs of Christ? In this passage, Jesus says, when, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he did. And he did. And every time we lift up Jesus through our Christian actions and deeds, we're drawn to him. When we take time to listen to God through prayer and worship, when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide our actions, then Christ is lifted up. Not on a cross, not talking about on a cross, but lifted up in the sense of being glorified. Every time we're obedient to Christ, as, as Christ was obedient, he's exalted and lifted up and glorified. People both see and hear, and they are drawn to him over and again. In 1992, the Washington Redskins won the Super Bowl. They, um, they beat the Buffalo Bills. 
75,000 people gathered between the mall and the Washington Monument uh, to cheer their team and their coach. Four days later, Chuck Colson calls the Redskins and asks if some of the football players could attend a rally at, at the prison. Well, many of the, the players, of Gibbs's players, had, had gone home. They, they had emptied out their lockers and, and had left. And with a characteristic, and, and just knowing Joe Gibbs, if you've ever read anything that he's written, uh, you know the humility of the man. But anyway, Joe Gibbs asked uh, Chuck Colson, he said, well, I do, you know. <clears throat> Colson immediately uh, accepted the offer by the coach and, uh, of the championship Washington Redskins. Five days after, after winning the Super Bowl, you know, Gibbs could have opened any door in Washington, D.C. that he wanted to open, yet he was willing to walk behind the locked doors of a penitentiary in the District of Columbia to speak to men about his faith in Christ. Joe Gibbs, he, he stood up to speak to cheers and whistles and the applause of 500 prisoners. A lot of he, Joe Gibbs told him, he said, uh, a lot of people in the world would probably look at me and say, man, if I could just coach the Super Bowl, I'd be happy and fulfilled. But I'm here to tell you, it takes something else in your life besides money, besides position, besides football and power and fame. The vacuum in each of our lives can only be filled through a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, I'm telling you, the rest of our lives will be spent in meaningless experience, existence. Gibbs says, I've seen it in football players' eyes. I've seen it in men who are on their deathbed. There's nothing else that will fill that vacuum. Joe Gibbs, you see, he listened and he heard the call of God. He saw the glory of Jesus whenever, whenever Jesus said, now the Son of Man must be glorified. And he shared that with others. He saw signs of hope. He was able to help others to follow Jesus on Jesus' journey to glory as Jesus was lifted up and glorified through his witness. The scriptures that Cindy read to us today, sir, we want to see Jesus. This was a request of the, of the Greeks who had come to, the, to worship in the festival at Jerusalem. You know that Jews were, were required to go to three festivals a year. I mean, they're, they're required. You had to go. But these were Gentiles, not Jews, Gentiles who likely showed up at the Passover, at the Jewish Passover, and maybe some of the other festivals, I don't know. <clears throat> but anyway, they showed up because they intuitively felt that the God of Israel was a true God. They had come to that point in their lives. Their own philosophies, their own religious systems, they, they weren't satisfying them, for it seems that they knew that there was more about this God to be found. It appears they felt that Israel desired to discover the answers to their deepest questions. So they asked, sirs, we want to see Jesus. They spoke to Philip, one of only two disciples who has a Greek name. Perhaps they knew him from the past. Maybe that they, 
just sense that he wouldn't dismiss their request because of their cultural background. I don't know. Perhaps he was one disciple who could understand their language. Whatever the reason, it was to Philip that they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. They had missed the glorious occasion, the pomp and all the chaos a few days before. They had missed Palm Sunday, where Jesus entered the city with crowds shouting and children shouting, Hosanna. They had come, they had come to Jerusalem just in time to make preparations for the Passover meal, for the Seder meal. And they found the whole city buzzing about this Jesus. And they wanted to see him for themselves. They wanted to see Jesus for themselves. It appears that, that Philip wasn't really sure what to do with their request. There didn't seem to be a set of rules or a precedent of how to deal with Gentiles in the disciples' training manual. So, so Philip consulted with Andrew, the other disciple with a Greek name, by the way, and together they went and told Jesus of the Gentiles' request. Now, Jesus' response on the surface, on the surface may appear to be a bit odd to us. Here it is. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Throughout the Gospel of John, at various critical points of Jesus' ministry, when the crowds were either very upset with his teachings and ready to kill him, or very impressed with his miraculous powers and ready to crown him king, he says repeatedly, my hour has not yet come, over and over and over in John's Gospel. But here in today's reading, after this apparent innocent request by these Greek visitors, he announced that the hour had come, that the glory they'd been longing for was about to be revealed, not in Jesus wrecking vengeance on his enemies or even doing greater miracles, but by him falling to the earth and dying just as a grain of wheat and losing his life by being lifted up on the cross. I, I remember when, when I was farming and I'd go out in, in, in the rice field when the rice was about knee high, and, I, and I'd pull up a stool of, uh, of rice and, and wash, it, wash it off. I'd be checking for a disease. Sheath blithe usually uh, was what I'd be, be looking for. It's usually at the um, level of the water. But anyway, pull it up, and I'd always be amazed as I, as I washed off the, the mud and everything off the roots that there would be that tiny rice seed that I, that I had planted that gave itself up so that plant could be what it was. It wasn't going to do it again. It had died, but yet it gave life to produce many. Is that not what the church is to be doing? Giving ourselves up over and over and over again. That's what Jesus says, if you believe in that sort of thing. Perhaps we may wonder how Peter and Andrew I'm sorry, Philip and Andrew responded to the words of, of uh, Jesus. We know that no amount of explanation by Jesus to his disciples uh, that he must be lifted up on a cross, be crucified and die, ever seemed to get through to them. They could not understand that the one that could calm the storm, the one that could raise the dead, the one that could heal the leper, uh, um, cause the blind to see, the lame to walk and all that, could possibly die. They did not get it. 
They didn't get it. They didn't embrace it or receive that revelation. Yet Jesus presses on with his messianic actions and message. But the question that, that you and I probably ask and have asked, but why now? Why all of a sudden, 12th chapter of John, why now? Because the world was knocking at his door. The nations were clamoring for his salvation. And these Gentiles had come, and he knew that the only way they would truly see him was to gaze upon his bloody glory, lifted up from the earth on a cross where he would draw all people to himself. That's something to think about. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Why is that so transforming for us? Why does, why does that transform us? Why, why is there so much of a transforming, so powerful healing about our gazing upon the crucified Lord? What is it that draws us back here again and again as we walk through these somber, and they are somber, days in Lent and into the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ? When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Perhaps Jesus was saying to Philip and to Andrew and to the Greek visitors and to us that it's time to gaze upon him in awe and wonder as we allow our hearts to be drawn by his transforming love, which calls forth a loving response from us. Maybe that's it. It is this heartfelt response to our crucified Lord that Jeremiah spoke of hundreds of years before. He says this, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, when I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon their hearts. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. This dichotomy of which Jeremiah spoke between the Old and New Covenant was not setting of the law over grace, the God of the New Testament over the God in Jesus Christ, nor was it setting Judaism over and against Christianity. God's activity among his people has always been grace-filled, and the content of the covenant it always remains the same. You and I, people, God's people, are called into a loving relationship with our Creator in which we respond by keeping His laws. It is the means of keeping that covenant which Jeremiah so prophetically saw that would be transformed. No longer would the law be written on stone tablets. No longer would the law be written on stone tablets, but on the heart. No longer would there be a need for intermediate uh, folks that, 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 that go between us and God, intermediaries, I can't say it. But, but each one would know the Lord for himself, herself, or himself. Now, I've said an awful lot in 10 minutes, or about 15 But that's a very scary 
transformation to imagine. To have surgery done upon our hearts. To have to face God on a one-on-one intimate level, I say, is an awesome proposition. It's much easier to view God's law as something on stone. A lot easier to imagine that. Something out there. Some ideal that we'll that we all strive for, but will never quite make. Or even a demand that seems a bit unreasonable to us. It's much safer for us to live within a religious system than to enter into a relationship with the living God. For that is the sword which Jesus brought. He did not come to divide Jew and Christian. That's silly. But to divide those who wanted the security of a nice, safe, religious system and those who long for a life-transforming relationship with the living God. That's why he came. You and I both know that it's just as easy for Christianity to become a religion of law as it has been for Judaism. For it to become a a means by which we keep God at a safe distance, appeasing him and our conscience by giving a little time. I'll give you a little time, Lord. Give you a little money and maybe even some of our talents. All the while keeping keeping our hearts untouched by the finger of God who longs to write his name upon our heart. I'm not really saying that any of us do this on purpose. It may be done innocently unconsciously, and with the best of intentions even. It's been my experience that most of us don't purposefully harden our hearts or walk away from God. Just as married couples in trouble don't purposefully close down their hearts to one another. Just wake up one day and realize that they're sleeping next to a stranger. All the meaningful communication has ceased. That bit by bit, their conversation has closed down. Slowly but surely, they have grown apart, choosing to avoid all conflict by retreating into the illusion of a safer place. All the while having their hearts grow colder and harder day by day, so often, so often it is with our relationship with God. We may flow easily, with the routine of our religious lives and obligations. But out of the blue, sometimes suddenly and sometimes gradually, it it dawns upon us that, that God is a total stranger. Someone out there who writes on stone and speaks a language that we can't understand. 
we have avoided God intentionally, perhaps because of our own behaviors that we, we don't want to face and hope to hide from God. Perhaps we've grown cold toward God because of pastoral issues in our lives, such as a handicapped child, a friend's cancer. It may cause us to reject God's grace. Or in the death of a parent or a spouse, and some may have been taken away by thinking about this, this God is a God who is so remote, and we view ourselves as victims. Today we hear the request of some Greeks, visitors in Jerusalem. And perhaps this passage of Scripture will stir something up within us. Perhaps their very simple request can become our request. Perhaps we see life and glory and wonder and faithfulness all around us. But our experience of the living God has grown old and tired and dusty and cold. Maybe that's where we're at. The words of the Greek visitors can energize us and instruct us. Perhaps these are words that we need to say as well. Sirs, we need to see Jesus. There's no other answer. We cannot talk ourselves into faithfulness. We cannot, by an act of will, simply restructure our lifestyles in, in such a way that we leave so little space for listening to the voice of God. A few years ago, well, it wasn't a few years ago, it was a lot of years ago, I was on the conference committee of, of, uh, of insurance, and, uh, and, and, um, and I asked uh, th this committee if uh, we could have five minutes to pray, and they were insulted. Five minutes. Five minutes to pray. You want you want to mess something up? Take something like like a group insurance, health insurance, and put a bunch of preachers on it to begin with. We needed to pray, and, and and I know it. We don't do it that way anymore. But the next year I wasn't on the insurance committee either. So so anyway, and that was okay by by, by me. Are we not willing to give our Lord five minutes? What kind of boundaries, what kind of walls or barriers have we built between ourselves and the Lord? These Greek visitors show us a way to tear down these boundaries and these walls and these barriers that we may have constructed. They simply ask and remind us we wish to see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus in all of his bloody glory lifted high upon a cross where he draws us, where he draws us with cords of love stronger than our will, with cords of love stronger than our sinful habits, stronger than our deaf ears or our blind eyes, our lame limbs or our stony hearts. He draws us with gentle surgery. He gives us grace, grace to love what God commands and, and grace to desire what God promises. <clears throat> that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. That's straight out of the book of Common Prayer. On this fifth Sunday in Lent, before we enter the week of our Lord's Passion, 
Let us take time to pray with one another, to see Jesus. Then maybe we can say, gracious God, we wish to see Jesus. Thanks be to God. Amen.